For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. The scripture reading today is Mark 7, 1 through 8, 14 through 15, and 21 through 23. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you, hypocrites, as it is written. This people honor me with their lips, and their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licitiousness, (laughs) envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The word of the Lord. (laughs) That's one of those ones where you want to say, like, I think. Thanks, I think. Isn't it? Uh, Hey, everybody. My name is Steve. Welcome to Genesis West. Uh, There's also a little church in White Bear Lake called Genesis East that is meeting uh, this weekend, this Sunday, and maybe they just met or they're finishing up. And so uh, we pray for them. We're with them. Uh, And... um, I want to say welcome, like, if, if you wandered in here because uh, you saw the Genesis West on the sign, uh, and this is the first time you've been in church for a long time, I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel okay uh, participating when you feel like you want to and with words and maybe holding back when you don't want to because you can't or you feel like uh, it would violate something within you. Uh, but you're here and you're breathing in and out, and we welcome you. So a couple thoughts before we dive into the talk. Number one, we have this thing called church vacation that we do every October, Uh, and what it is, some places call it a retreat, but we call it a vacation because we don't fill it full of, like, worship services, (laughs) like, that you have to attend. We actually play and laugh and eat together. So it's October 12th through 14, Covenant Pines, Uh, up north in McGregor, and uh, at last check, I think we already had 70 people signed up, so it's really filling up fast. So please go to the website, genesiscub.org, and sign up if you'd like to come. We encourage you to come. Uh, It's one of the best ways to get connected and make friends around here. Also, there is an Enneagram workshop at the end of this month, 
If you are an Enneagram nerd, or if you have thought, no way, finally, they're gonna, I'm going to learn what this is that everyone keeps talking about, uh, Chris Hewitz is coming into town. He wrote a little book called The Sacred Enneagram. He is really, really doing some good work on what this is. And the Enneagram, if you don't know what it is, is it is a centuries-old tool uh, that sort of gets at the uh, false self, true self patterns that you put up to help you survive in life. So then maybe now that you're 20 or 40 or 80, you maybe want to move through some of those false self patterns and be who you actually are in the world. Uh, the Enneagram is a great way uh, to check into that. So uh, you can register on our website. It's through Church of the Open Door in Maple Grove. Uh, but it's Saturday, July, sorry, September 29th, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Costs 65 bucks. It's well worth it. Some people from Genesis are going. So get into that. Also, we are hiring a couple of kids ministry coordinators, 10 hours a week each, or one 20-hour-a-week person. We are open. So if you're looking for a little more hours and, and you really want to serve on Sunday mornings, uh, please talk to us. You can email us also at hellowest. I think there are some, some, some job descriptions on, on the welcome table outside. So uh, if, you are, if you love kids and you are detail-oriented and you like to be behind the scenes putting things together for, for Sunday mornings, do it. Uh, and I am in one of those uh, groups, spiritual direction groups, and um, we meet tomorrow night, at, no, Tuesday night, I think. And I love mine. And I was nervous to get into it because I am a pastor. So I had to say, guys, in this group, can I just be a person? And they're like, well, what's the alternative? <laughs> and I knew it was the right group. I love these guys. We've been meeting together for about a year now. And, um, and, and it really is a safe place for me. And um, you, you, even when you're in one of these groups, you, you choose the amount of vulnerability that you continue to share. And it's normal and natural for that to take some time. So just know that. Like, you don't need to come and on day one share your deepest, darkest secrets. That comes over time. Um, but if you want to um, meet some people who love you and who help you become who you truly are, I would, con I would say consider that. So... Uh, Talk to one of us or email us at hellowest at genesispub. Sound good? All right. Why don't we pray and let's get into this delicious passage. God, thank you uh, for bringing us together again and for building this community. Uh, we want to follow you where you go and follow the truth where it goes. Amen? All right, so... Um, I think when you read a text like this, it's easy, it's easy to take pot shots at the Pharisees, isn't it? Oh, those Pharisees, so legalistic. How could you possibly be so judgmental? Gosh, they were losers. How did Jesus even stand to be around them? Right? And then you realize, oh man, I am a Pharisee. And then you have to wipe this, the slate clean because I was just being as just as just judgmental as as the text. So I think when you read a text like that, first of all, you see it as a mirror, okay? And then you can poke some holes. Um, but ritual cleansings were important to them because to them, it was a demonstration of the Jewish people's love for God and commitment to God in a polytheistic world. That meant most of the world believed in many gods. And so they said, this is the way that we're going to show that we love God. 
we're going to follow lots and lots of rules and rituals. And um, I'm sure that uh, there were always people looking to reform those rules and rituals and having conversations about them. And so they were always in progress. And um, I think it's, it's also maybe easy to see a passage like that as a way to throw out legalism, um, which we probably should, uh, but miss the bigger challenge that Jesus was trying to do. He really was trying to reframe the entire way that people looked at life. And I think Jesus is still doing that, still trying to help us reframe how we see spirituality, how we see religion, how we see God. And so that's the invitation. And so the, the Pharisees' question in verse 5 is this, why do, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? Why do they eat with defiled hands? And some of you are like, I was in a band in junior high called Defiled Hands, and so it's pretty amazing. That joke always works, no matter, no matter what the context. Um, and, and so, um, again, the use of all these ritual cleansings, it, it was like they created a fence around their belief system and said, as long as you're doing all these things within the fence, within the backyard, then we can tell you're a part of us. You're, you're one of us. You're a part of our tribe. Now, if you don't do those things or if you do things that are outside the fence, then we can tell that you're not part of our tribe. And, um, and so fences are helpful in terms of defining your social structure. However, um, um, there's a problem with fences, right? Now, Mary and I remember when our kids, when we had three boys under the age of four, we had a backyard that had no fence. And there was a really sweet park down the hill. And we couldn't be at all places at all times. And so there were times when we needed to say, guys, leave the house right now. And I don't want to see you for another 30 minutes. Um, but we couldn't do that without a fence because at four years old, they're going to go all over the place. They're going to you know, they're going to go to who knows where. And so we put in a fence, and that fence was awesome. It's still there. However, when our boys grow up, right, we, and, and they move out someday, we want our house to not be this fenced-in place we want our house to be a center of love and belonging to which they can always return. They can go as far away as they want to, knowing that they can come back and return to this place of love and belonging, right? And that's two completely different ways of looking at family. One way of looking at it is we're going to create a fence, and we're going to make sure that we are all safely ensconced within its boundaries, amen? So I can tell how far you go, what you do at all times. But if you're like 21, if your kids are 21 or 31, and you still have that mentality, we, have, we might have to sit down, y'all, and have a little talk. Um, so fences are good until they're not good. And there comes a time when they're not helpful. And many religious systems operate according to the fence model. 
If you believe these specific things, then you are a part of our tribe. And if you don't, we can tell you that we love you, but probably you need to find a new home. That's called a bounded set theology. It's fenced in. But there's another way of looking at it, and that is a centered set theology, which is our belief system is less of a fence and it's more like a well filled with living water to which you can always return. See, the question for religious systems that are built on fences is, what do you believe and do you believe what we believe? The question for a centered set theology, which is based on a well, is, are you thirsty? Now, I, I borrow that metaphor of wells and fences from my friend Micah, who's also a pastor, so credit to him. But I love it because it means you can go as far as you need to, knowing that you can always return when you're thirsty. That's why we put the Eucharist in the middle of the room, if you're new here. We put the Eucharist in the middle of the room because that is our center, the real presence of Christ. And it doesn't really go beyond that. The real presence of Christ, the life and teachings of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, that's the living water. And it's really interesting that of all the metaphors that Jesus uses and that God writes about in the Bible, we hardly, you hardly ever hear living water. Because, and let's have that be our first all play question, what's wrong with the metaphor of living water as it relates to a religious system? Just play with me here. <laughs> totally. Thanks, Alicia. That's weird. What else? You need water, whether you want it or not. Thanks, Lisa. Yes. Oh, yeah. It does feel a little controlling. I see that. We have the water. You don't. What else? Thank you, sir. Tell me your name. Mike. Let's, let's camp there for a second. Water is really hard to contain. Who owns water? <laughs> but that gets to Shannon's. <laughs> Probably does. But that gets to Shannon's question. It's like, who owns water? Who owns the living water? Which denomination has rights to the living water, exclusive rights. <sighs> Thank you. Water can be contaminated. Kirsten, wow. What do you do when the water in the well that you've trusted to come back to is contaminated. Dig another well. Thanks, Charlie. What else? Ooh, boil it. Get it clean again. Anything else? Any other thoughts? You would tell someone else. Micah. 
yeah, maybe people are starting to get sick. But have you ever been a part of a system that people are drinking the contaminated water, but no one knows that they're sick? <laughs> it's like that smell that you have in your house that you don't know what it is. <laughs> but like someone else comes in and goes, whoa, I had two cats in grad school. And when I moved out, I remember my mom going like, oh, we're throwing these drapes away. I'm like, why? She's like, your cats have peed all over your drapes, and it stinks in here. I'm like, wow. I'm kind of glad I didn't have a girlfriend back then. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't have cats for very much longer after that. <laughs> um, so I think the temptation is even to turn your centered set theology into a bounded set theology, but think that it's a centered set theology. Well, you have to vote, you know, like I'll never forget someone around Genesis, and this is so helpful for me, said, I'm old enough to remember when you couldn't be a Democrat and be a Christian, but sometimes at Genesis, I wonder if you can be a Republican and be a Christian. And it was like, ouch. So, so it's really tempting to think you have a centered set theology, but really have a bounded set theology where you really, maybe it's like a, it's like a dog uh, fence that's buried, you know, and people are walking around, but they don't know that they have the collar on. And then when they hit it, you know, like, oh my gosh, like you don't know when you're going to get zapped. <laughs> um, so Jesus says to them, in verse 9, because he's saying, you guys, um, you have a bounded set theology and God is doing something new. So I want to confront that. So he says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. That's the commandment. That's crazy. But you say, Pharisees, that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Now, what he's saying is this. The Pharisees, when they, when they acknowledged their calling as sons of God and, and rabbis in training, they dedicated themselves to God. That was korban. My gifts are for God. And so if their family, if their father or mother got sick and said, hey, we need you to come and help us. They would say, oh, bop, 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 korban. My gifts are for God, not for you. And they were justified. And Jesus is saying, no. You're putting the tradition of the elders higher than the very commandment of God, which is to honor your mother and father and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I wonder if some of the Pharisees listening were like, oh, snap. And we're convicted because we typically think, oh, they're just going to, they're going to reject Jesus' teachings. But what if some of them said, there's a, a spirituality of the heart here that I need to examine because I've been, I've been measuring my whole life by what goes in or doesn't go in. But Jesus is now saying what really matters is what comes out. And I wonder about that from the standpoint of the church. Jesus says this, that 
he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Because the spiritual tradition that I grew up in, there was lots of things you couldn't put into your body. Uh, alcohol, for sure. Tobacco, for sure. Um, certain books could not read. I remember even as an adult being a part of a church and being like, I am, I'm reading Harry Potter, it's so awesome. And there was like this. Yeah, but there's witches in that book. It is fiction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you grew up with boundary markers too, right? Maybe they were different. Maybe they were the same. So the real test um, is what do you do with someone when Maybe they're thirsty, but their thirst looks like anger. What do you do with that? You know, because it's kind of easy to answer when someone is really obviously thirsty and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so thirsty. Then you'd say, oh, come to the table and eat. You know, but what about if their thirst looks like um, rebellion? What about if their thirst looks like leaving the church? What about if their thirst looks like um, who knows what? Can you, can you resist? I love Steve's, I love how a chord has three notes because it resists the automatic binary or dualistic. We want to take sides. That's what our ego wants to do. Major or minor, major or minor. We want to take sides, but a chord says, oh, there's another option. So people that are centered in the person of Christ develop the wisdom over time and the humility over time and the trust over time to ask lots of questions. Amen? To be able to sit with the tension of someone they don't agree with long enough to really listen for the thirst. Amen? We have a value around here called conversation. And we call it conversation because we really believe that there's a back and forth that's so necessary in growing in our faith. There's a listening and a talking. There's a listening and a talking as we follow the truth where it goes. There's nothing outside a church that by going in can defile. But the things that come out of the church, that's what blesses or defiles. Say that again. There's nothing that can come in here that defiles, but it's attitudes, behaviors, judgments that come out that defile or bless. So it's pretty easy, actually, to have a bounded set theology because the question is, what do you believe and do, do you follow the rules? But a centered set theology, like a well, where we don't own the water, it's much harder. It takes trust, humility, conversation, continual discernment. And it takes people who are courageous enough to ask the question, hey, who's thirsty? If you're thirsty, we don't own the water. 
It's not on our land, but we do have access to it, and we can drink. Because the living water, it's available to all. Amen.